1: Welcome to another BitFlix.com podcast. My name is Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Bria Grant. Welcome to the show.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: My pleasure. My pleasure indeed. Uh, we're going to talk about your film, Torn Hearts, that you directed. But before yeah. we do talk about that, you were just recently at Frightfest in London's Leicester Square for another film called Night's Guide, directed by your That's friend, right. Jacob Gentry um mm-hmm. and when i spoke to you on the media wall for fright fest tv when i had a different hat on you mentioned about <laughs> that you were trying to imagine what your face might look like on an imax yeah so <laughs> so bria what does it look like when you see your own face on an imax
2: you know i mean look i've been an actor for many years now i was an actor it was my my main job for better or for worse for many years and um I've seen my face all sizes. Uh, uh, You know, I think, look, we're all judgmental about our looks. Um, I think that one was kind of fun because we shot it a few years ago and it was kind of fun because I feel like I I can tell that I look younger and there's parts of me that I'm like, Oh, that's like a younger version of, of me, of me, but um, it was you know what? It was lovely, it was nice, it was very exciting seeing that movie. I think um, Jacob put a lot of heart into that movie, and um, there's a lot of a lot of him. He worked really hard on that one, and um, it was fun to see with an audience. The Fright Fast audience was really lovely, it was cool seeing it that big, and like, especially a movie like that that we shot, you know, in Utah, New Mexico, like all these very distinct places, really cool places. And we actually physically went there and and shot in the American Southwest and getting to see it on that giant screen was just, um, that's the way it should be seen.
1: Now, the main reason for getting you on though, is to talk about the film you directed, Torn Hearts, uh, which is now available on all HD platforms in the UK, as I understand it.
2: I, I, you tell me, but I think that's right. <laughs> it
1: said, I, I read it was from since the 5th of September, 2022. It's been available via Paramount Pictures.
2: Ah, that sounds right. That sounds And right. I checked yes.
1: on Just Watch and it told me I could get it on all the platforms.
2: Great. All right, people, go get it. It's so, available now.
1: <laughs> so we know they can watch it. But So to make them watch it, do you want to give us a brief synopsis to what Torn Hearts is about from your point of view?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's about two young, um, up-and-coming country music musicians. Who really want to make it big, and they um, decide to go to the house of their uh, the this woman that they really admire this this country old school country star to ask her to do a song with them, um, and uh, uh, horror ensues.
1: <laughs> Indeed, it does. Indeed, it yeah. does. In my in my review, I, I I likened it to or christened it a Nashville noir. It was a very
2: I love that. I actually saw that. I appreciate it. I think that's right because. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's a noir. It's like these, these women are probably, things are not going to go well for them. You can, for them, you can tell that at the beginning, which is, you know, I think uh, very important to noir. And um, it also like has the pace, I think, of a noir. I I appreciate that. And I I may be the first in that category. I think so.
1: And they're all, (laughs) it's because they're all flawed people. None of them are actually good, but they're not, they're not bad, not cold hearted, but they've been, you know, as, as show business does to people. It makes you desperate. Yeah. And it makes you cynical, which is. One hundred percent.
2: I there. There's a part where one of the characters says, "You know, I'm not a bad person," and then the other character says, "Well, you're not that good either." <laughs> and and I I think that those are the characters I'm always drawn to. Mm. Like when it comes to, um, because uh, car- none of all of us are flawed, and mm. it's interesting to see people's flaws, and especially I think we've had, especially in in genre and in horror, we've had so many. Final girls who are not that flawed and Mm. and people are flawed, women are flawed. And I want to see those things on the screen, but still be willing to watch and cheer for them. That was so I I did a movie a few years back called 12 Hour Shift, and that was uh the other goal. The same in that one where I wanted Mm. to have this sort of flawed main character and really try to see the world from her perspective. And um, that was my goal from the beginning with Torn Hearts, was I didn't want to judge these women, I just wanted them. To uh, make the decisions they would make based on who they were and the way they've been treated by this, you know, screwed up industry uh, um, so far in their lives.
1: Rachel Colla Croft wrote the script. So when you first mm-hmm. read it, what 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 was the thing that stood out for you that made it something for you to want to direct it? What was the first? I'm just thinking of like you know, like for that yeah. screenwriter listening in now, when oh, you're great. when yes. you're reading the script, when did you go? Hold on a minute. This is the one for me. What got you?
2: Well, I mean, I, I think like a lot of filmmakers, I read a lot of scripts. I mean, I definitely read uh, I, I I read three to four, if not more, every week. So it it this script was interesting to me because uh well, one Blumhouse was already on board, so that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, 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 um, but, yeah, yeah. But no. but two, it was um something I hadn't seen before. And that felt really interesting to me. Like I she had a friend that was in the Nashville country music industry. And so she kind of took that experience and, um, and, and put it into a horror movie. And I just had never seen something like that. Like, I think we see a lot of like rock and roll and stuff like that in, in horror movies, but we don't really see country music. Mm. And that just felt like an interesting jumping off place. And then I, I felt like all three characters had a very specific point of view that I related to in some way. You know, you have the woman who's been around forever who, um, has been, you know, hurt by this industry, is angry, wants to pit the everyone against each other and kind of hurt people the way she has been hurt. Mm. Um, and then you have these other two up-and-coming people who still have stars in their eyes and um, are hoping if they can just do this one thing, they can make it. And I kind of saw myself at this point in my career in both of those women. Mm. So I think like, as far as, you know, writers just looking to write stuff that directors are going to want to attach to, it's For me, it's always, it always comes from a character point of view. So these characters were well-developed. They were interesting. They, they had these flaws. They had characteristics. It wasn't just some character that I didn't care about. And then also put him in in this space that I had never seen before. Like it was hard to say no to something that was so unique and interesting.
1: Now you've got, now obviously Torn Hearts is the name of the, is the name of the film, but also the name of the duo that is our main two protagonists and the antagonist. Katie Seagal plays Harper Dutch of the Duchess Sisters, a 90s phenomenon, which is obviously Heroes of Torn Hearts. Katie Seagal's character is, is I was thinking about, like, when I've watched things like Justified and I watch mm. people drink drinking bourbon and it always looks, like, really, really tasty and really refreshing. But, like, Harper's sort <laughs> of in the, is more like Marion in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think them two having a drinking competition yeah. would be brutal.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Uh, I, I I think it's pretty public that Katie is sober. Mm. Um, so but it was something I think she really related to about the character was this woman starts the day with a with a, yeah with with alcohol and she finishes the day with, with alcohol two, two or al- three
1: fingers of alcohol not just and
2: it doesn't affect her you know like at this point because mm. she's been living alone and living like this for a really a, a long a long time
1: mm.
2: uh, you know and self medicating in the way that our you know many alcoholics do
1: and it's it's also interesting because i used to, i used to manage in a, in a previous life i did manage a rock band and and okay. so having sort of seen when you go through the bad experience which clearly she'd had the good but obviously bad had led her to where she is right now is that almost like when you're ready for the music industry the music industry isn't, isn't interested in you anymore you've kind of you've they want you when you when you're a happy puppy you'll do anything that they'll tell you Whereas, yeah, once you understand the rules of the game, that's when they don't want to listen to you. And I think yeah. she portrays same, that brilliantly. The
2: film industry. Same with the film industry. <laughs> the, film industry. <laughs> the moment they, they figure out that you figure out what to do, and the moment you figure out that you should start saying no, is the the moment that uh, I think that they're le- as far as actors go. I think yeah. uh, they're less less interested in you. And I, I think that's something Katie related to is being you know raked over the coals by an industry that. Um, know it's not kind to women and Mm. and uh she's been doing this a long time she's been an actor for a long time and i think she related to that but also if people are listening and they're trying to get actors to be cool actors like katie like what a blessing to be in 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 a movie like this um she had never done a horror movie so like there there this was a whole new thing for her and her the idea of doing that was really interesting to her and especially a character like this who's just So juicy, like just getting to play within this world was really Mm. exciting
1: for her. Yeah, because she's she's more or less like Cruella, really, isn't she? But 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 to country singers,
2: I kept saying uh, misery. That was my go to like that. She's you know, she's she's controlling things like she's the one pulling all the strings behind the scenes, but also slowly, obviously not stable, you know, obviously losing her mind over the course of the movie. Uh, which for an actor is the most, is, is fun to dive into. Like if you, especially someone like Katie, who's honestly just a work, she's been working a long time. She's very level-headed. She's very cool. So like getting to play with this dark side, I think is something she can really get into.
1: Now it's it, it's about singing. And a really important part of it is that we get to see musical performances in this. And as part of Katie's long career, she was a backing singer with um, Gene Simmons, if I yes. remember.
2: I, yeah, she first couple different people, yeah, but yeah. yeah, she was, she was, uh, I can't remember where she got her start, but yeah, yeah. So she has been doing it a long time. And when, I mean, we prepped this movie, I had, I had about three weeks to prep this movie, three and a half weeks. So it wasn't very long. And so, you know, day one, I was talking to the casting director and, um, and my producer John, and we were like, okay, I, I personally really wanted singers to be in every role because I just knew there's a scene towards the end. I really wanted to record live if it was possible because it's all of the women singing together. Yeah. And then also I just knew it was going to save me as a former actress. I feel like I know I lie on my I used to lie on my resume all the time and be like, sure, I can horseback ride or whatever. And I like I don't want someone who to lie to me and say they can sing and then not actually be able to sing. So that way, if I want to do it live or use their real voices, I was able to do that. Um, and Katie came up. Because she is obviously a great singer. She's put out multiple albums. Um, and I was like, wow, that's the dream person. If she mm. would come to it, that would be my dream. And um, uh, is for me, she's. Is
1: she that easier? It. Is that from a film production point of view? Is it easier to get a performance in camera than just get them to mind to something and put it on after?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on what you're doing. If you just are playing a backing track and like you're just going to record it all in the studio, then. Um, I don't then I don't know if it makes a huge difference. I mean, it, it's nice to have someone who knows how to perform. Yeah. I mean, for example, so uh, um Abby who played Jordan, she really does play guitar and sing. Mm. And and um that is Alexis's voice singing. She's yeah. she's an amazing singer. Um, so both of them could also sing. Um, but having her be able to play guitar, yeah, that was easier because then you're not faking and cutting in and out and trying to be like, oh no, like um, so my husband is a music producer and um I had him watch it because I was like, "Please tell me if anything looks bad, if anything looks fake, because yeah. you know you never know." And he was very impressed. And um, uh, yeah, I remember. I remember. Really I remember,
1: we I remember um, well, Michael Winterbottom who did the twenty-four hour party people about yeah. Factory Records. I been mean, John Sims who plays Bernard Sumner, he's in a band outside of acting. Uh, you know, Sam Riley who played in Anthony Corbin's version of Joy Division. He's in, he was in a band before he was acting, so you can tell a mile it's off. I think helpful. sometimes that someone's been yeah, on stage. So,
2: I mean, some actors can totally fake it and that's yeah. great too. But I, I, for me and the amount of time we had to shoot this movie in, it was just going to be easier if, if we could do it. And, and then I could co- work with cool, you know, actors who could sing. I mean, you know, for me at this point, I always just want to work with people I've already, already worked with, but none of the actors I had worked with in the past I felt like could sing uh, in the way. So I ended up with meeting these cool new actresses I hope Abby puts out an album at some point because the Abby who played guitar and sings back up from the movie, she's such a, bu- a brilliant singer mm. and plays guitar so beautifully. and um But yeah, no, it made it so much easier. And then there's this scene at the end where they're all singing around the same microphone. That's the sound from... We used the sound from the day. I did not record any of that in brilliant. the studio. We had a day, pro, like a uh, booked where they're like, Katie needs to come to the studio that day. And I was like, why? We actually have it all done live on that day, it was a very difficult day to shoot because you know she yeah, had to yeah. have like a a thing in her ear, keeping pace and whatever. But but it was just really fun to shoot it. And um, I my sound guy and I that that day we were both so like giddy, like but it, you know, it, but it <laughs> gives
1: it lends the film so much authenticity as well, doesn't it? Because it's it's the moment. I, I think so.
2: I think so. And it's something I always try to. I mean, I feel like I do. I go towards big. Things that are sort of otherworldly and not necessarily mm. realistic, and so having these moments that feel very realistic, I think grounds the movie.
1: Now, a movie, a movie reference that stood out for me was was Sunset Boulevard, but more so sure. the documentary about Grey Gardens in terms yes. of the world that uh, Harper Dutch has let herself live in. So, do you want to talk about the influence of Grey Gardens on Torn Hearts?
2: Yeah, um, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen Grey Gardens, but it was one of those. You know, you sit down with your production designer, and uh, we have to get this house together hmm. within uh, three weeks. Um, and I had to find the house. So first, I found a house completely empty. that The house was originally empty, had white walls, and we talked a lot about color, um, and then just what she would have there. And so it's this mix of that very Sunset Boulevard pin- pictures of her, paintings of herself. You know, those things of like. Yeah. that stars end up with like, I, I have stuff. I have all these pictures of myself as an actress where I'm like, I don't want these in my house. Like I don't want a photo of me on like a red carpet framed in my, it's so weird, but you end up with them And so I, you know, all these things, these nods to her awards, gold records, I actually have one of her gold records here. So we, we, we thought about all that stuff, but then also the stuff that would show that there are cracks, right? Things are not working out for her. All of the knickknacks, the bugs, the grossness, the things that would end up in her house. And, my one, one thing I kept referring to was that, um, uh, that at some point they go through the looking glasses an Alice in Wonderland moment when they walk through this gate because they've entered a different world and Harper is in charge of this mm. world. Everything in this house reflects Harper, um, down to the coloring. I, there's a lot of pink in the movie and that was, that was Harper's color. There's literally pink in almost every
0: frame. If you look for it, cause a lot of the knickknacks and stuff are pink and, um, save big on brunch for mom all in the Kroger app.
2: I wanted it to be that as you got deeper and deeper into her house, uh, things got weirder and weirder. So the first room, you're like, okay, it's just a bunch of memorabilia. It's like kind of cool stuff. But then once you get to the kitchen, you're like, okay, well, now things are kind of gross. There's rotten eggs. There's uh, uh, there's a lot of trash everywhere. And then by the time you get into this, uh, the, the heart of the movie, which is this spoiler a secret room uh, mm. in the house, um, uh, then you realize how weird things actually are there.
1: As a as an actor who's become a director, um how do you think your acting has informed you as a director?
2: It definitely affects the scripts and things I choose to do yeah. because um I'm always reading just from a character point of view. And if mm. the character doesn't have an arc, I'm sort of like, well, why would I do I don't need mm. to be involved in this? Um and I think it um I mean, I I think it affects the way I I am on a set. I um uh my manager at some point was like, you're great, you're so good at casting, and I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm good with actors. <laughs> like I actually think, like I actually think, like I'm fine at casting. I think I can, you know, choose good. I think I can choose good people and convince good people to be in things that I that I'm doing. But I think at the end of the day, it's that I want. I give actors a lot of rope. Like I very much, I want to talk about character. I want to go through what I, I want to learn their process and then let them do what they mm. do. I-, I don't want them to be um, uh, stuck to the script. I don't want them to be stuck to the things that I figured out ahead of time. Um, we spend a lot of time improvising on, on my sets. Um, if at all possible, obviously in television, it's, it's not as uh, it's a little, a bit frowned upon, yeah. um, but on my sets, I like to say, get everything I want. And then at the end, say to them, okay, actor take. You can say the lines however you want. You can do whatever you want. Tell me what you're feeling in this moment. Like, go for it. And I get a lot of really juicy, cool stuff out of that. Um, um, So my whole thing is I want to give the, the actors agency. They're here to play. As long as we have a good time, as long as they're doing what they think they want to be doing, you end up getting the best stuff. I think what happens a lot of times is actors get stifled because directors have this very specific vision and the actors feel like, they can't quite achieve it, and um, and that's we kind of do the opposite on on my sense.
1: I mean, it's it's pretty clear from the start that Jordan and Lee are very different characters, but it but that becomes okay. clearer the longer yes. we get into the film. Um, yes. And in terms of Abby and, and Alexis's performance, then was was there any was there any moment you can remember where they did something that 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 was so the character that you hadn't you hadn't anticipated would be something the character would do, and you were like that's.
2: That is such a good question. Um, uh, you know, I, so I was familiar with Alexis. She's in this movie called The Half of It that mm. is is not a genre movie, but it's such a brilliant little rom-com. And I had only known her from that where she plays this very, uh, she plays like a dream girl for people. Mm. So the casting, of that, so it felt really obvious to me to cast her as this role where she mm. also plays like a star. Um, and uh, uh, so it was fun. Anytime Alexis would go dark and do something kind of dark, I would always be like, Alexis, this is your casting. You're casting. People should be casting you more as like you have a darkness (laughs) to you that you can pull out because she gets cast as like the beautiful girl next door. But I think she has way more. I mean, first of all, I think dark characters are more interesting. So I think she has more depth than that. I think there's something really interesting about that to me. Um, And then Abby uh, would always do something funny. Abby has a sense of humor to her acting, even though she's only really done everything I'd seen her do was pretty serious. But, um, Abby, uh, who uh, plays Jordan, she would have these little funny moments and a lot of them ended up in the movie and they were not necessarily in the script. like where she would have a look or go or say like an improv or there's this part of the table where um, uh, 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 Harper says to Lee, you know, something like, uh, yeah, I can tell I can tell that you're a real star. And then Abby improv something like, well, people say we both are, are good, <laughs> you know, something like that. And it's just like such a funny moment. And she was really good Good at coming up with little little things that made the character so much deeper. So I mean, both just amazing actresses that just could had a lot of had a lot of fun with these roles. Yeah, because because I remember
1: know? I remember what stood out a, a couple of a, a two a sort of back and forth line that stood out was where was where um, where Abby says thank you very much for letting us come in your house and Alexis mm-hmm. just says you look fantastic.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that was actually scripted. It was it was scripted, but I thought it was such a, it was such a brilliant little moment to show. Way these two different women are going to deal yeah. with, uh, and, and, with then
1: the we, and then we and then we get them. the look, the stern look on Harper's face where she's ne- then she's working these two out going. Hold on a minute, these are not together.
2: Yeah, <laughs> she's figured them out. I think she figures them out moment one. She starts to see who they are and quickly realizes how she can pit them against each other. Which I, I think you can just totally see it in Katie the whole time. Is it's kind of amazing.
1: Now this is just given what you just said, then it's like this. will sound like a really crass example, but. I once interviewed, I failed to interview, I should say, uh, Marky Smith from the post punk band The Fall. Uh, I don't know if you're oh, familiar yeah. with them, um, but he is, he is synonymously the most cantankerous. I mean, sadly, he's passed away now. And I turned up to interview him unprepared because I'd been sent late. I'd been sent as a kind of, with some questions. And he uh-huh. saw through it within about 30 <laughs> seconds. Like, he knew yeah. I knew nothing. And it was amazing because yeah. he you know, in the same way that, that Harp had been there, done that, and she can see the mistakes that she'd made in the two women. It was like,
2: well, yeah. And it's super, I mean, it's kind of a scary thing, but I do think, especially in these industries where you're constantly thrown into new situations, you get very good at sizing people up, <laughs> you know, like very good at going, you know, like is like figuring out people's, are they nervous? Are they weak? Are they, what is happening? And cause mm. I know it's something I do the moment. I mean, I've just, every time I I've you know, I've been on so many sets, right? And every time you walk onto a new set, you have to figure out where you stand in this pecking order. You have to figure out where you who who are your allies, and you have to figure out who doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. And so it's like this like you have to kind of figure these things out very quickly. So I think as actors, you get really good at assessing your situations and seeing through people very quickly.
1: Now, the fourth, the fourth, the fourth wheel on this vehicle that is John Hart's is Joshua Leonard's fantastic oh, yes. performance oh. as uh, and as a, as a former rock manager, I can honestly say I wasn't very, I wasn't very similar to him, but I did appreciate his, his portrayal <laughs> of what was once my craft. Is- uh-huh, uh-huh,
2: uh-huh. <laughs> I like that. Great. <laughs> he's, what- he's a fun guy. I I love his work.
1: I mean, what was, what was he, what was the conversations? Because like? obviously he is sort of turned up to 11, isn't he? In terms of who he is as a character.
2: Well, he's one of those guys who I mean, he's also a writer. He's also a director. Like he's been doing this for a long time. Like a okay. lot of people I think know him know him from Blair Witch Project. I mean, that was, you know, he mm. got his start doing that, but now he's he's he does all of it. And um uh I mean the conversation I had with him was that I wanted him to be likable. I wanted people to know why Lee's character was with him. I didn't want him to just be an like mm. a jerk right out of the gate, right? Um, but we he's a guy who loves to improvise. So there is a take in there where he's like explaining to Harper how he's going to get them popular, and we did it a few times. And I was like, I don't know, do one on like like coked up, like do one really <laughs> intense. That's the one that made it in the movie uh, because it was so good. And he can just go. If you if you are ever looking for an actor who can just keep going, improvise, do whatever he wants, like that's jo- that's Joshua Leonard. He's very um, very very good at his job, and I think just added a lot of much needed energy to the movie.
1: Now, from from a look and feel of the aesthetic, what was your conversations like with Yaron Levy for uh, as as your cinematographer? What were you what were you what were you referencing in terms of that? In terms of how the film was going to look,
2: um, you know, for me, I talked a lot about. It's interesting because we we he was on another movie. <laughs> he right. was on another movie for about half of my prep. I don't know if he wants people to know that. So we did a lot of like conversations uh, via Zoom, and then by the time he got out there, we. We got together and 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 were able to talk, but we'd already kind of I'd already found a lot of locations by that point and um kind of had a sense of it. But the idea was we wanted it to be it wanted it to look like a bright poppy movie, right? It should look like these country music stars. It should almost be CW. Like uh, you don't have CW. Right? I know what it know, is I like, like know what it is. Okay, is. great. Like, yeah, it should be like almost like a teen pop movie at first. You think that's what you're getting into, but then as it goes, the film gets darker, things get weirder, the angles get stranger. Um uh, um, and it, I, I, I think a lot about like who is in the frame and and why we are framing in a in a certain way, and um, uh, and the power imbalance between these people. But at the beginning, you see a lot of two shots of just the two uh, of of Leah and and Jordan together. But as the movie um uh progresses, they're now in separate frames. They're now on opposite ends of the frames. They're now shot in 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 different ways. Um, and and we also talked a lot about power imbalances and and the way the camera can like if you're looking down versus looking up and what that means for these power these moments of power because this is a lot of women getting pitted against each other and and there's going to be different power imbalances so that, that those were the conversations we were having is the way we can show that in the in the frame and also the movie is it is a slow burn and not a lot of horror happens for a while so it was a lot of finding ways to show people that things are off things are not going well mm. uh, with it still being a beautiful movie. So there's a lot of things that like, you know, shooting these women from certain angles, um, shooting Harper. We we also talked a lot about shooting Harper as this, uh, this, you know, shooting her with a lot of power, giving her a lot of, a lot of like, you want, you want to see her and go, oh, that's a, that's a star, you know? And so finding ways to shoot her that were super flattering. But that first
1: shot when she comes down the stairway and it's like, she's uh, just staring down at these two young women
2: Yes, which is such a power move, right? Just, yes. just stand at the top and yes. just stare until they speak to you. I mean, so it's both like you know, in in the uh, the choreography of the scene, but also just in the way we we shot it, um, which Ron totally understood. Ron is a brilliant cinematographer, and has just worked for a really long time on a lot of stuff, and uh, so. It was really fun to talk about uh, what all this stuff means, yeah, and not, I really get, in, get into that. I've
1: not thought yeah. about it until you started saying, like in the way that yeah, you're right. It, it all feels like very open, and you're getting us to show what, exactly what's happening. And then, as it moves on, the points of view seem to be obscured. It's like we're not always sure yep. who's looking and why we're looking, but it's making yeah. us lean into what what the where it's going to take us.
2: Good, good.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. That's the goal. <laughs> so obviously a script is written and a film is produced and then it gets edited. So when you're in the edit with is it Hunter and Is that how I say it? Uh-huh, Hunter. Uh-huh. Yeah. When when you're in the edit, what what did you discover about the story that wasn't evident when you were when you are at the script stage? What did it reveal to you?
2: I mean, you always are remaking the movie in um in, in post for sure. Uh, so what was weird is we shot this in 2021 and I was in the edit bay in 2021, the end of 2021 and COVID was pretty bad. So yeah. um, uh, Blumhouse um, would not let us be in the room together. So we edited it. We did all via um, uh, an online program called Evercast. Hmm. So that was weird. I've never met Hunter in real life, but I also, he's my best friend. So I, because I feel like editing is also, he's not really my best friend, but, uh, but I feel like he had to hear all of my, you know, you go through the drama of the shoot with your, with your editor and they become your, your therapist and your best friend, but also your editor. Um, I mean, the thing that we really found, I think, um, and this is my own, I always am putting more than we actually need. I think I'm always like, Finding, I'm always like, well, let, I think we need to add another line about this thing here and stuff. And we ended up relying a lot on, um, I mean, it's a very dialogue heavy, heavy movie. We ended up actually cutting a lot of dialogue out because I will end up adding stuff on the day, being like, ah, maybe you should say this. Maybe we should try this. Um, and uh, Hunter's really good, was really good at going like, we get it. Like, we get it. The plot of the movie is very simple. <laughs> you don't have to have so many explanations, which I think is just me covering my ass still is as a pretty uh, early Early in my career director. Um, so we found a lot of that. And then we ended up cutting. Um, there was more in the bar. There was a lot more um that happened uh in the openings mm. moments. And we were like, you don't need it. We we don't need it. We get it. We get who these people are, we get the setup, we get the relationship between um um Abby and 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 Shiloh Fernandez's character. Um and so we we understand what's going on here. So it was a lot, a lot of that kind of stuff is figuring out. What you don't need uh, that you've spent hours shooting, which is always depressing. <laughs> days, days cut.
1: <laughs> now, now, uh, one, one last fun question. Then, so for for those for those listening that haven't seen the film, and I don't think we've, we've not really been very spoilery, so we don't have to go too mad. But what would you be looking forward for them to see in Torn Hearts? What's a what's a scene or a sequence that you particularly sort of? I mean, obviously, you're proud of the film. This isn't to sort of make the to. to to, to talk the film down. But what, what particular scene or sequence is, is like a, a moment or two where you really, really got what you wanted that you'd be excited for them to see.
2: It's, I mean, one thing I really wanted, it's a bit of a spoiler, but there is a fight sequence that I really enjoyed shooting. And it was something, um, I feel like I got to sink my teeth into. I like shooting action stuff. I, it's really fun for me. Mm. And, um, and getting to shoot, I, I had this, I I won't say who's fighting, but I I had this, I I think, look, women's physicality is different than men. And I think a lot of times when we're watching movies, well, we, women are, people are too coordinated. They're too choreographed for the, uh, uh, for their fight sequences. So I talked a lot with my stunt coordinator about, um, that. these are two women who've never fought each other before I've mean, probably never been in a brawl before never been in a fight but I wanted to show how vicious it could be between them while still being very messy and so I, we had a lot of fun choreographing that and then putting some fun music over it and I, I had a good time making that scene
1: <laughs> well look, it, look I remind people then Torn Arts is available on HD Digital in the UK easy enough all the platforms mm-hmm. that you like it just gives mm-hmm. me to say thank you very much to give us you your time on Britflix podcast
2: ah, thank you for having me